cleanse us all from we pray that the world around us will come to know this Jesus, this Jesus who loves us so much, just as we are. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. This morning we will be in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you brought them with you. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. So we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city, I looked carefully at the objects of your worship. And I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he saved by human hands or served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall afresh on us today. Lord, that you would fall afresh on our minds, that you'd fall afresh on our hearts. Lord, that you would fall afresh on our souls and that you would connect all three back to you. We love you so much, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning touches on a lot of rich themes. I'm excited to dive into a few of them with you, and I do believe that God has something to say to you today. And I do believe that God desires to be known by each and every one of us here. It is my hope and it is my prayer that we would come to know God in a personal way this morning and potentially be launched into deeper waters so we can be set on a course with God that takes us farther than we ever imagined we would go. God doesn't withhold who he is from us. And I'd like to invite you not to withhold who you are this morning. With all of your strengths and with all of your weaknesses, I'd like to invite you to give yourself completely to this moment without an ounce of resistance. Be at peace. Be at rest. Be with God. And let's go deeper together. Paul has been on an amazing journey. He has moved from town to town under the conviction that he is to preach the gospel and share the news of Jesus Christ so that others will experience the power of the resurrection in their own lives. God, or Paul, has desired to make God known. To say Paul was determined would be an understatement. To say that Paul was on a mission would almost be an understatement. Paul, I would argue, knew the heart of God so well that he couldn't not do what he was doing. His life was so intertwined with the love of God, he was compelled to reside there and invite others to reside in the only thing he knew to be real, God. My question for us this morning is, how well do you know God? It's a question I wouldn't expect you to be able to answer very easily, especially when you ponder it for a while. Perhaps it's a question you've never asked yourself or a question you've never been asked before right now. At the start of verse 16, we see that Paul has journeyed to Athens. This is because he was sent there to get out of the way of some angry mobs who had come to speak against the message he was proclaiming because the gospel can be dangerous. Paul finds himself waiting for his friends, Timothy and Silas, to join back up with him. However, he is immediately in Athens, experiencing deep distress when he sees the folks there worshiping idols. Athens was home to polytheistic faiths, meaning Athens was a place where folks ascribed to religions that worshiped more than one god. He begins sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the synagogues with the Jewish leaders and then finds himself in a conversation with two philosophers. They were prominent people in the Epicurean and Stoic schools of thought. On the one hand, the Epicurean teaching said that God was distant and uninvolved in human affairs. And on the other hand, the Stoic teaching suggested that it's entirely up to humanity to figure it out 
and make everything right. It's fascinating to me that Paul stands before these philosophers and is given an opportunity by God to share a third way. When I learned about the Epicurean and Stoic teachings, they sounded familiar to me. The thought process that God is distant and uninvolved in our lives is pervasive among folks who are Christians and is pervasive among non-Christians alike. I will occasionally have students share with me that they think God is distant and far away. And sometimes I have young adults, adults, youth, share with me that they think God watches from a distance and leaves it up to us to figure it out. Do these thought processes sound familiar? Paul shares that he noticed the many idols the Athenians worship, and specifically he noticed the altar they had set up for the unknown God. Dr. Moore affectionately refers to this altar as the just-in-case God. This altar was set up just in case these folks missed a God. They wanted to cover all of their bases. And we might chuckle at that, but there's something really important here that I don't want us to miss. The Athenians left room and space to be wrong, which is so important. It's so important to leave room to potentially be wrong. And they come to know God by doing it wrong. They come to know God by doing it wrong. God reveals who he is to them in their error. Because there's no way any of us can totally figure everything out. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. But God comes face to face with this group of people who are getting it wrong. God can meet with us, transform us, and make a new way, especially when we have hearts that can say to God, I'm wrong. I can be wrong. So Paul takes the opportunity to tell them who God is, and with their full attention, he proclaims for the first time to these folks the truth of who the unknown God is. I want you to lean into the words of Paul here, and I want you to, with fresh ears, hear who God is. Paul shares this unknown God is the one who created the world and everything in it. God is creative, the one who designed flowers and decided to have them grow under our feet. God is the one who carved the ocean and filled it with more unique creatures than we can wrap our minds around. God is the one who set the stars in the galaxy and created each one of us in this room with our various personalities. And it's God who created in each one of us a desire to know God. He is so creative and powerful that Paul reminds the Athenians that he cannot be contained in silver or gold statues made by human hands. God is other than, bigger than, more powerful than, we could ever create or make God to be. Paul says God is not served by human hands because God needs nothing. Instead, God gives to all people. The perfect giver, the one who not only created the entire world, but is also the one who sustains with love the entire world by giving life and breath to all things. We are a God-breathed people 
in a God-breathed world. I took one year of biblical Hebrew, and one of my favorite things that we focused on was how we exist because of the very word and breath of God. If you've ever heard the words abracadabra, then you've probably heard them in association to a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. These words, abracadabra, are actually Aramaic in their roots, which is similar roots to biblical Hebrew, and they literally translate into, I speak, therefore I create. Abracadabra. The first line of Genesis in, in biblical Hebrew says, Bereshit, Barach, Elohim. They're very similar. How did God create the world? Through speaking. God created the world, the world through speaking, and in essence, abracadabra everything into existence. We are a God-breathed people, and we are sustained by the Word of God. And yet Paul goes on to say that God created in us a desire to search for him and to reach for him. And when you keep reading in verse 27, you see that it says that God created us to find him. God is not distant. God is not somewhere out there. God is personal. You can't get more personal than your breath. God can be found. God wants to be found by you. God is present. For me, this news changes my life. It really does. I hope that this news that God is with you changes your life. I think it changed the Athenians' lives. And I think it's still news today that could change the lives of our brothers and sisters in our community. Paul says, Indeed, God is not far from each one of us. Recently, my husband and I went on a date to the Billy Graham Library. <laughs> and I can't say that without laughing because it's so typical of a clergy couple to go to the Billy Graham Library on a date, I think. Um, but if you have never been there, I highly recommend that you go and check it out at least once. And we were making our way through some of the exhibits, and there was a video of Billy Graham speaking at one of his crusades, and he said, Not to get discouraged during the times you do not feel God or hear God, because God might very well be closer to you than he has ever been before. And faith goes beyond feeling. I think this is similar to what Paul is proclaiming when he says, God is not far from each one of us. Do you believe that? Do you know that God is right here, right now, and that God has been, is, and will be present to you. God knows the exact situations you're dealing with right now. God knows the exact thoughts that you have in this very moment. God even knows the very things you're turning to instead of remaining and abiding in His love. God is present. And God desires to make Himself known to you. However, God will never force himself on you. God is a by-invitation-only God, and the good news is that you have been invited into a relationship with Christ. 
God always makes the first move and sends the first invitation because we cannot do it on our own. I'd like to invite you to stop doing your life on your own. Invite God in. Have you given God permission to move and work and transform your life? How well do you know God? You see, one of the most important things Paul shares with the Athenians and with us today is that we are the offspring of God. You are a child of God, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to change that. Psalm 17, 8 says that we are the apple of God's eye. God knows we are prone to wander away. We've been given free will, and we've been given the opportunity to choose God or not to choose God. And please hear me when I say, you are never going to get it right 100% of the time. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr famously says that we come to God in our failures and in our mistakes. We do not come to God once we've cleaned ourselves up. It doesn't work like that. God already knows everything about you and desires a relationship with you, not to condemn you, but to sanctify you and to call you towards himself because in God you will find everything your soul needs. God didn't send Paul to the Athenians to call them stupid or to ridicule their lifestyle. God called Paul to the Athenians to make himself known to a people who were far off. There's a song I've recently discovered called You're the Only One by Chris Renzema. And if you have a Spotify playlist, I'd really encourage you to put it on there. You're the Only One by Chris Renzema. I've played it over and over and over for probably the past couple weeks since I discovered it. And it's been a tool that God uses to bind me closer, to draw me in. It really kind of reckons my soul and re-anchors me back into God's presence. And the lyrics say, they're very simple, but they say, Though the earth may try to satisfy my heart, though the earth may try to tell me you're not faithful, though the earth may try to blind me from your goodness, you shine through. You're the only one who fills me up. Oh, you're the only one who fills me up. The lyrics are very simple, but the line, you shine through, is what gives me the most hope of all. It's the same message Paul is delivering to the Athenians and to us. God desires to be known. God shines through. God will not play hide and seek with you. God is present. God loves you. And God calls you, like Paul, to make his name known. If someone were to ask you about God, what would you say? I guess your answer is determined by how well you know God. One of the best ways I know to get to know someone is by having a meal with them. There's something about sitting down face-to-face with someone over a meal that levels the playing field and creates an opportunity for connection and relationship. My husband and I have a weekly breakfast date on Wednesday mornings because we know sitting together and eating together is a wonderful way for us to continue to grow in our marriage and is a wonderful way for us to be on the same page and connect. And I love our Wednesday morning breakfast dates, and so does he, because they're important. They're essential to us. 
And I've loved the times that I've been able to share a meal with many of you and get to know you all in a more meaningful way. For those of you who are here and are single and are in the dating world, I'm sure the majority of times you go on a first date, you're invited to a meal. It's an anxious and exciting situation to be in because you don't really know the person you're meeting that well, maybe, and they don't know you that well either. So you spend your time concentrating on how you can make a good first impression. You don't want to say the wrong thing or spill your drink or get food in your teeth or say anything that makes you sound stupid. You want to come across to your date as the best version of yourself. You know, each and every one of us here have been invited to share a meal with Christ this morning. I wonder how many of you still feel like you need to make a good impression on God before you can come to this table right here. I wonder how many of you worry that you might say the wrong thing or look stupid in front of God. And I wonder how many of you spend your time trying to clean yourself up to convince God to like you. The thing about having a meal with someone is that you get to know them really well. And the truth about this meal right here that's been set before us is that God invites you to be exactly who you are and sit at a table prepared with you in mind. I'm convinced that if you choose to participate in this holy meal today, you will encounter the living God in a real and life-transforming way. Otherwise, why, why participate? Why do it? I'm also convinced that if you choose to participate in this holy meal, you will come to know who God is. Christ invites you to the table. There is no need to tweak or change who you are. There is no need to cover up your mistakes. There's no need to cover up your sins. This is an opportunity created for you to be exactly who you are, warts and all, and allow God to renew you and continue the good work that's already been started in you. This, this is an altar of a God who desires to be known. This is the altar of our God who relentlessly pursues us so we might know Christ so well that our lives become an invitation for others to taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Lord, for all that you are, for all that you give, for all of your plans, and for all that you do, we're thankful. Lord, we are grateful to be with you. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our lives. In your name that we pray. Amen.